From Sarasota Memorial, this is HealthCast. A healthy dose of information from experts you can trust. Hi, everybody. Welcome to HealthCast. I'm Heidi Godman. In this episode, we're going to talk about surgical advances for gastrointestinal cancer. In particular, we're going to find out about types of GI cancers and what the numbers of those cancers look like, some of the big advances in GI cancer surgery, and how technology is affecting outcomes for patients. Our guest is Dr. Ken Meredith, Medical Director for Gastrointestinal Surgical Oncology at Sarasota Memorial Hospital's Cancer Institute, and one of the world's most experienced robotic GI oncology surgeons in the world. Welcome to the program. Thank you. Now, that is a very long title, and it covers a lot of ground. So let's start with the basics. When we're talking about GI oncology, we are talking about, and I have a list here, colorectal cancer, pancreatic cancer, esophageal cancer, liver cancer, gallbladder, stomach cancer. And then within each one of those, there are variations, right? Yeah, each one of the particular GI malignancies has their own variations. Um, Most people think that you get diagnosed with pancreatic cancer and there's just one pancreatic cancer, but there's actually various subtypes. There's four subtypes of pancreatic cancer, and depending on which subtype, that can actually improve or make you have even less overall survival. For esophageal cancer, you have your squamous cancer, you have your adenocarcinoma, and some of those are related to drinking and smoking. Some of them are related to our diet, reflux of acid into the esophagus. Even within liver, we have primary liver tumors associated with hepatitis B, hepatitis C, non-alcoholic steatohepatitis, which is really on the rise in our country due to what we call fatty liver. Um, And then we have primary tumors that occur in the bile ducts within the liver. All of these are liver masses. And then we have tumors that spread from one organ to the liver, which is one of the most common sites. Um, It's really important to know all the different subtypes for GI malignancies because unless you know the subtypes, you can't really tailor the treatment to the patient. Right. And there are so many different types of treatments, and we'll talk about those. Mm -hmm. But, you know, we're talking about all these different types of GI cancers, and they're very common. Isn't Florida one of the uh, top states for these cancers? Yeah, actually, Florida for um, pancreatic cancer and esophageal cancer ranks second only to California. There is about 57,000 new pancreatic cancers that's uh, um, to be diagnosed in 2020. Florida's going to have about 4,400 of those. Esophageal cancer, there'll be 18,000, and Florida's going to have you know, about uh, 1,400 of those. Colorectal cancer, we're about third in the country. There'll be about 150,000 new colorectal cancers, and Florida's going to have over 11,000 of those. You put all the GI malignancies, and Florida's second only to California for the number of GI malignancies. So what is it? Are cancers increasing, or is it just that we're getting better at detecting them? It's a very good question. The answer is actually both. Um, you look at pancreatic cancer, esophageal cancer, colorectal cancer, all of those cancers are on the rise. I mean, esophageal cancer alone, there's been a 30% increase in new diagnosis of esophageal cancers in the last 20 years. Pancreatic cancer is about a 20% increase over the last 10 years. Um, colorectal cancer, even in younger patients, we're getting more diagnosis, although the patients over the age of 50, it's pretty much you know, plateaued, but patients under the age of 50, there's certainly an increase in the, in the new cancers. Now, as far as our ability to detect, that's absolutely correct as well. We have high-resolution CT scanners that can now pinpoint within one to two millimeter accuracy within the pancreas. MRIs for rectal cancer are now as equivalent to endoscopic procedures in stage 
staging for these rectal cancers. And then our endoscopic techniques and endoscopic ultrasound allows us to take biopsies of very small lesions, allows us to actually get diagnosis of cancers earlier as well. And these numbers are also reflected in the amount of GI cancer cases that happen at Sarasota Memorial Hospital, right? Tell us. Absolutely. So last year in our GI tumor board, it's one of the actually the largest tumor board at uh, Sarasota Memorial, we saw over 1,200 um, uh, unique cases that were presented at our tumor board. And what our tumor board is, is um, a panel of experts, and it's uh, surgeons, medical oncologists, radiation oncologists, gastroenterologists, pathologists, radiologists, interventional radiologists, geneticists, nursing. We have the full gamut. Everyone's present at our tumor board. And this allows us to present each patient and give a tailored approach rather than a one-size-fits-all approach. Each patient gets their own unique treatment algorithm. And there are tumor boards for all different types of cancer, but you were saying that the GI tumor board is, is, has the most amount of cases. Yes. Um, so let's talk a little bit about what happens for the patient. So if someone is diagnosed with a GI cancer, what happens? Well, it's very daunting. You, know, you hear that word cancer and all of a sudden the patient's mind goes to this uh, hopeless place. But the first part that we do in our clinic is, you know, I have a, a very good surgical team and we have a very good multidisciplinary team and our goal is to put the patient at ease. When we talk to them in clinic, we give them the diagnosis, we tell them that these are treatable and the majority of cases are actually more treatable than even patients understanding are. We then have them meet with our patient navigator. Um, different scheduling of all of these appointments can be very trying on the patient. So anything we can do to make that a streamlined process for the patient, it, it makes all of the angst that with this diagnosis, it kind of not go away, but really takes a lot of the burden off. And then we talk about our tumor board with the patient and we tell them, you know, we're going to be with you the entire time. We're going to take you through this process from the time your diagnosis to the time that we're able to treat, whether that be chemotherapy and radiation or whether it be surgery. How often is surgery involved for a GI cancer? And then how do you know which approach that you're going to take, the traditional open surgery where you make the large incisions, or the robot, which is using smaller incisions? Well, for GI cancers, it's not like other um, bloodborne cancers. GI malignancy surgery is involved in almost all of them, at least for curative intent. For pancreatic cancer, no one's gonna live five years without surgery. For esophageal cancer, you you may have some chemotherapy and radiation and they may get what's called a complete response where it completely kills the tumor. Our ability to detect that isn't there yet, so surgery is still indicated even for those for colon rectal. Surgery is involved in all of those. Now, unfortunately, sometimes the tumors are more advanced and if they're more advanced and spread to other organs where we can't get all the tumor out, in those situations, we can't, you know, we can't operate on them for cure, but there are certain things we can do for palliation and also to, to prolong life with chemotherapy and, uh, and possible radiation. And I mentioned before that you're one of the most experienced robotic GI oncology surgeons in the world. Uh, so you really have seen a lot of changes. What can you do with the robot 
now that you couldn't do before with traditional open surgery? Well, if you think about open surgery, it's still great surgery. And most surgeons are trained with open surgery. There's not a lot of even fellowships that give you a lot of uh, training in robotic surgery. Robotic surgery for GI malignancies is certainly indicated for pancreas, for esophageal. I can tell you at Sarasota Memorial that 99% of our esophageal cancers are taken out with the robots. Now, why is that? Well, if you look in the past for esophageal, you would get a, a foot and a half incision on your abdomen, a foot and a half incision on your chest, and a whole rib taken out. Um, now we've exchanged that with pinky size incisions and a small two inch incision that we use to take the tumor out and put them back together again. But everything is done with the robot. In the past, even with laparoscopic techniques, you're like operating with chopsticks. The robot gives you the ability to more mimic your hands during surgery. The robot articulates, whereas traditional laparoscopic equipment is like operating with chopsticks. But I was going to say, you just mentioned articulating. Uh, the robot hands, they can turn all the way around, yeah. right? Do things that human hands they couldn't. Can, they, can, uh, they can actually rotate two times more than we can actually do. If you think about supination and pronation, we can only get up to about 180 degrees, and the robot can go around and then around again and if you need it even around a little bit more so um, we can get into places that you couldn't get laparoscopically and even the visualization is improved if you think about laparoscopic surgery it's two-dimensional cameras and so you're looking at basically like watching a TV whereas the robot you have a three-dimensional camera so it's like you have your entire head inside you have your hands inside like you're more mimicking open surgery. For pancreatic surgery, for instance, though what's called the pancreatic duodenectomy, which is a fancy term for what's called a Whipple procedure or pancreatic head resection, those operations you're working with veins and you're working with arteries and it's very difficult to get in those spaces and even laparoscopically the outcomes from those aren't very good but the robot allows you to get into those planes of dissection and not every person is a candidate your question about how do you decide open versus versus minimal invasive well it's patient characteristics and it's tumor characteristics. For pancreatic resections, 30% of our pancreatic volume, and we are one of the highest volumes in the entire state of Florida for pancreatic resections, um, oftentimes pancreatic cancer involves veins. And if it's involving the vein or invading into the vein, those cases aren't really good cases for robotic because you can't really see around. You're literally operating underneath the pancreas. But for other left-sided pancreatic resections, over 90% of our patients get a robotic distal pancreatectomy or even subtotal pancreatectomy with the robot. And about 15 to 20% of patients with pancreatic head resections that don't involve the vascular structures can get a robotic pancreatic duodenectomy. So all of this great advance in technology, does it translate to patient outcome? It actually does. I, I just published a couple papers on this. So we published our, our series here from uh, robotic pancreatic resections, your time to adjuvant therapy, meaning when you get the cancer out and the time that they actually get to their chemotherapy after actually is improved with the robotic approach. Your lymph node harvest is improved with the robotic approach, even compared to open approaches. And we think that the reason for that is we can get more aggressive dissecting these lymph nodes out. And a lymph node is basically the harbinger you know, of the body. It's basically where a tumor is going to spread to try to get to the rest of the body and spread outside of the primary uh, location. And so taking more of these lymph nodes out not only improves survival, but our improves our ability to accurately 
accurately stage the patient. Because if you are only taking five to 10 nodes out with the pancreatic resection, you're really not doing justice to the patient. You need to be taking at least 12 to 15 nodes for every pancreatic resection, 12 nodes for colorectal surgery, 15 nodes for gastric and esophageal cancer. And unfortunately, even with open procedures, a lot of times this isn't happening. So better outcomes are always going to be the goal, whether it's GI oncology uh, or any of the other categories in oncology, breast cancer, all the other cancers. And I know that you're one of the people at Sarasota Memorial helping to shape the future of the Cancer Institute. How do you put these huge teams together in order to help that person get those better patient outcomes and also make the patients feel like it's all designed around them? That's a, a very good question, and that's been kind of, I came here in 2014, and that's been my focus since I came here, is building a GI cancer program that people can be you know, mindful of, that people or patients didn't think they had to leave Sarasota to get that high-quality care. And the first thing you do is build your team. And how do you build your team is you need one interest and you need pe uh, physicians that are focused on patient outcomes. But it's more than that. It's not only just focusing on the patient outcomes, it's research. You know, it's tracking your outcomes. Um, it's um, cutting edge technology. It's also keeping up to date. Most people don't realize this, but cancer, cancer surgery, you know, adjuvant therapies for cancer, they change. And I don't want to say on a daily basis, but it almost seems daunting in that, that it does change quite frequently. So you have to be up to date on the trials that are, that are out there, on the, you know, the data for outcomes from surgery, different surgical techniques. I can tell you that um, I'm presenting a paper in May on one of our new surgical techniques for, um, for esophageal cancer. And it's something simple like an anti-reflux procedure 40% of patients will actually reflux after they have an esophagectomy, and in the past there's nothing we can do for it. But we've developed this technique with an anti-reflux procedure in the chest and looking at their quality of life scores, and their quality of life scores are so much improved with this new technique. So all of this cutting edge surgical, you know, medical oncology, even interventional radiology, having the full gamuts, you know, all of these tools in our armamentarium so that patients know that when you're getting a you have a GI cancer diagnosed at Sarasota Memorial you're going to have access to everything that you need access to and that it's going to be fluid it will keep changing it will keep be getting better so what does the future of cancer care look like do you think well I think we're going to have a nice uh, a nice facility um, within that facility we already have built our team and it, instead of a if you build it you they will come uh, mentality we built it and now we're building the actual infrastructure. Now we're building more. So we have the team that's already assembled. Um, but, you know, with our growing needs in Sarasota, you look at the population growth within Sarasota, we're gonna need more high quality physicians. Right now, we're recruiting radiation oncology. You know, we have certain tumor sites that we need to actually bring into the fold. We need to expand even within our own group, we need to expand because our, our practice has gotten, you know, so uh, busy from the amount of GI cancers that we see that we'll have to bring more people that are focused on patients and research and giving the, the patients of Sarasota what they really do need. Dr. Ken Meredith, thank you so much. 
Thank you. All right, everybody, time now for today's takeaways. One is that GI cancer numbers are increasing here in Florida and across the country. Two is that robotic surgery is giving people more options and more hope to fight certain GI cancers. And three, for more information about Sarasota Memorial Hospital's GI oncology program, just call 941-917-7777. Thank you for joining us today. For more information, please visit smh.com. Follow us on your favorite social media network.